I'd like to welcome up to the stage Mr. James Hager, Pastor James Hager from Life Church down in Roseville. Yeah. Um, he is going to be our guest speaker this morning, so please give your full attention, warm welcome. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks, brother. Um, well, hey, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. All right. Yeah, we're good. Um, I, I hear your pastor is on vacay. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, I met Doug a few years ago, and uh, we've, been, we've been good friends ever since, and uh, he's a great guy. Him and Jen got great pastors, great leadership here, and so it was, uh, it was a no-brainer when he asked me if I could speak. I was like, of course, absolutely. So we're up in, uh, we're up in Roseville, and uh, we have a church up there, and uh, somebody we have a guest speaker at our church, and my wife's running the show. That's why she's not here. So instead of bringing my wife, I brought this super handsome guy on the front row. This is Stephen Trillo. How you doing, buddy? Glad you're here, man. Uh, so he's like my, my cheering section over there, just in case it really goes poorly this morning. You know, I at least have one guy who I know is going to give me a high five at the end. So um, just, you know, just that's, that's what I, you, you bring your own cheer squad if you need one. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Stephen actually was in the hospital last week for five days. We were praying for him. He collapsed his lung as he was coughing. He was coughing and so sick. He had just gotten back from Cambodia on a missions trip. And uh, he got really sick, and so he's throwing up in Tahoe. The elevation change from sea level to super high up in the mountains uh, caused him to get this really bad sickness. He starts coughing, throwing up so hard that his lung failed him. Uh, and we were praying like crazy for him because we didn't know what was going on. And there was about five nights in the hospital, and here he is on the front row this morning. So let's give God a shout, huh? Yeah, amen. God, uh, God still heals, in case you were wondering, right? Like... If you're sick, God, God heals, He restores, He sets free, He delivers, uh, He opens blind, eye, blind eyes, and it's always uh, important for us to recognize that when we see it happening in our lives, amen, and to honor God for that. Yeah, amen. Awesome. Very cool. That's exciting. Very cool. So a little bit about me. Uh, so I met Doug, Pastor Doug, a couple of years ago, and I met Chris, uh, I think it was going to be nine years ago now. Um, I was the game activities director at a camp in the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California and uh, making all the kids like drink soy sauce and eat thousand-year-old eggs and all different things like that. And Chris, I think you must have been like a group leader, right? Or were you, yeah, you were a group leader for the kids. And uh, then lo and behold, we, we meet up over here in Northern California, truly the land flowing of milk and honey, let me tell you, all right? I lived in LA for 10 years, soups over it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Hashtag glad I moved, all right? Um, so uh, super glad. I grew up in Auburn, so I, I knew what I was missing. Um, and from 18 to 28, I was in L.A. just like, I just need mountains and air. I need to be able to drink water again that's, like, fresh and, you know. I need, yeah, seriously. So I'm glad to be back. We've been back since 2010. I moved my wife and two kids up here, and now we have four kids because we take Scripture seriously. Uh, when God says, be fruitful and multiply, we were like, Amen. So she really, she just won't leave me alone. That's why we have four kids, all right? I tell her, I was like, man, we too many kids, all right? So hey, it's an honor to be here. Um, seriously, I, I, uh, I love any chance that I get to share, mostly because you guys haven't heard my jokes before. And so it feels like, wow, you know, wow. Really, my congregation, they stopped laughing like two years ago, right? They're like, we hit our threshold. There's no more jokes. Like he usually uses the same ones at least. They're on about a quarter rotation. So every six weeks, you're getting, a, you're getting the old ones from the first quarter. So anyway, I'll try. Uh, with that, so that's great. So you guys won't know that, you know, you won't know. So 
uh, enjoy yourselves. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the passage Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. And it's a really famous prophetic passage of Scripture. Um, and it's it's really important for us as believers, um, but sometimes, I don't know about you, but like when you start reading Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Micah, like these are, these are books that can be really challenging to wrap our minds around in 2018 NorCal, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some of it is really hard language and uh, some of the prophetic books, the ap- apocalyptic books, they can be challenging for us to understand and to grow. So we're going to try and really take this prophetic passage, this super uh, important, super popular, very famous portion of scripture, and uh, we're going to read several verses together. Uh, it's going to get a little long, but we're in the house of God, and so we might as well read his word. Amen, right? We're going to read 12 verses. That's a lot of verses on a Sunday. Like literally day one in Bible college, they say like one or two guys, come on, you know, not 12. So we're going to just go throw all the rules out and we're going to make it happen. All right. So here we go. Ezekiel 47 verse 1 through 12. I'm going to read it and then we're going to break it down a little bit. All right. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, the water flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me through on the other side to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling on the south side, going on east with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand. It was, are we, are we getting the picture here? Like that's a lot of thousands. Uh, just so you know, a cubit is about 18 inches, maybe the size of like your fingertips to your elbow. Uh, Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in. In It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Areba, that's the desert, and into enters the sea, that's the Dead Sea. When the water flows into the Dead Sea, the water will become fresh, and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Eti to Ingalim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, they there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows, everybody say from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. How many of you read that passage before? Anybody read that passage? It's a good one, right? Come on. It's a good passage of scripture. Um, and sometimes we can get lost in some of the imagery of it. So I'm going to attempt to kind of make it ours this morning, right? Like, I'm not going to say this is a hundred percent accurate interpretation, but this is the James Hager version. So you get what you pay for. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's be real. Um, so uh, this is a James Hager version of Ezekiel 47, but this is basically a prophet of God called to the people of God to speak 
speak the word of God, right? That prophets in the Old Testament would hear from God on behalf of the people, and they would speak God's prophetic declaration to the people. And this is the picture that he sees. He sees a day, right? Like, let's say, everybody say preferred future. So prophecy is really that. It's stating God's preferred future for God's people, right? Like how many of you look at your life and you say, man, my, my bank account is not where I believe God would want it to be. My bank account is not my preferred future today, right? Today, uh, I'm definitely living in my non-preferred future. I wish it was a little bit bigger. Or maybe you look at your health and you look at your body and you look at maybe some infirmities and some sickness. And it's like, man, I just don't feel like this is God's preferred future for me. In fact, there's a lot of infirmities that I'm facing right now, a lot of sickness in my body and unhealth and different things like that. It's like, I know God has more. Anybody believe that God has more for you than you're currently experiencing? right? That God might have a little bit of uh, extra for you, that God might want more blessing for your life, that God might want you to walk in more abundance, more knowledge, more security, that you wouldn't have to doubt your faith or doubt him or doubt his love for you. How many of you believe that God would have some more freedom for you, right? And some more healing for you and some more uh, prosperity for you and some more resources for you. I believe that we serve a good God and just like an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more our heavenly father, right? So I've got four kids. I told you that, right? I got a 10-year-old, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. We were not thinking. That's just like, <laughs> we, we didn't think. We're like 21 months apart, all four of them. Yeah, why not? Let's go. It's hammer time, you know? And I'm telling you, we, we had four kids 21 months apart, and the, there was literally a period of six months where we had four kids under five years old in our home. It, it, it still feels much like a daycare on most days when we're, and maybe you have six kids and more power to you or seven or eight, but our cap was four and we're still just, you know, believing God for a miracle that he resources us with strength and stamina and love, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all the fruit. We need all the fruits, right? Like some of you can live with maybe just one or two. We need them all every day for our four kids. Um, but one thing that we, we believe about our kids is we want the best for them, Right. Like, none of us wake up in the morning for our own children and think, you know, I would just love for them to really go through just a really hard season. (laughs) You know, like, I would love for them to just go through, like, if they could just experience hardship for just a really long season of their life, then I know they'd learn so much. Like, we might want our kids to learn it, but none of us innately desires. We understand what hard seasons produce, and that's a good thing, but none of us desires our kids to go through hard things. In fact, the temptation as a parent is to remove your kid from any hardship, right? To, to get them out of it. And, uh, you know, you have to balance that. But if you love your kids that way, how much more do you think that your heavenly father, who is love, right? You and I just, we get to love. He literally is love. It's not something he does. It's his personhood. He is love. God is love. How much more does he care for us? So when we think about things like healing, when we think about things like provision, when we think about things like the preferred future that we believe God would have for us, it's okay to say amen. You know what I mean? It's okay to say, yeah, I, I know that God wants for more for me than I'm currently living into. And here's what's crazy. That will be true for the rest of your life. I see, I love what God does. It's like, we kind of have the finish line out here in our walk with God. It's like, as soon as I get to the finish line, ah, I'm arrived. I'm here. 
we're, we, we did it, God, you and me, buddy. We made it. We're finished. Now we just cruise into eternity. It's like, oh, man, I wish it worked that way. I had a professor in college, and he would say this. He'd say, in the kingdom of God, there's no place to arrive. There's nothing to achieve. There's only a person to become. And it really sank deep in me where what I realized is that God's finish line for you and I keeps moving. And it can be frustrating. I do it to my kids because I'm just, I'm really mean, like in that regard, okay? Like I'll say, okay, first one to daddy, tag my hands. And then I'll keep backing up and they're like, dad, you keep moving. You know, I'll run around the, you know, church or the park or whatever. They get really frustrated. I move the finish line. Well, God does it in this way. He moves the finish line for us because there really is no place to arrive. He wants us to keep growing in him and enjoying the journey with him. Amen. So God always, no matter how, you might know Jesus like, You might know Jesus for 37 years, right? You might have memorized the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, You might have all the gifts of the Spirit and all the fruits of the Spirit and feel like you've arrived. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. God's always drawing us nearer. He's always compelling us to come. He's always saying, I have a preferred future for you that I want you to live into. So Ezekiel, as he's prophesying to the people, he's seen a day when the temple of God there's like a, a stream coming out of the threshold. And that's like that back door right there, right? You got those back, those back swinging doors back there. And imagine this. If the water that's this river represents the presence of God, right? That this is the presence of God. And it's starting, starting in the temple. And it's making its way through the doors. And the further it gets the deeper it gets. Remember the the prophecy, the man was showing Ezekiel. He said, and then I measured a thousand and it was ankle deep and a thousand and it was knee deep and a thousand and it was waist deep and another thousand. And every, as further we got from the sanctuary, the further we got from the house of God, the deeper, thicker, more potent, more powerful, and more effective the presence of God became. So much so that we're so far out now, we're all the way in the Arabian desert, Arabian desert. We're we're touching the Dead Sea now. We're at the, you know, the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, right? In fact, um, it's kind of cool because you can't drown in the Dead Sea because it's the lowest place on earth, so there's no rivers that can get out of it, but the rivers just go into it, and it's like a big pit. So there's so many minerals and, uh, I guess, metals and all sorts of stuff. It just gets stuck there. You can't drown in it. So you walk in, and you just keep walking, and you just, you just float in the Dead Sea. Maybe you've seen pictures, maybe you've been there, where you just float in the Dead Sea because it's so heavy. But there's nothing that lives in it. There's nothing that lives in it. And so here's what the prophet is seeing. He's seeing a day when the presence of God starts as a trickle in the sanctuary of God. But the further into death that it goes, the more powerful and active and present, and effective, and life-changing the river gets. To the place where all of a sudden you get to the Dead Sea, and now there's trees, and there's living creatures, there's all kinds of life happening in a place that was once dead and barren, in a place that once had no opportunity, no future, and no hope. Now it's teeming with life and variety. There's all kinds of things happening. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had two glasses of water up here, and one was salt water, 
and one was fresh water. And I had a bowl. And I put the salt water in the bowl, and then I poured the fresh water in the bowl. What do I now have? Salt water, right? So this is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of science, right? When the fresh water touches the Dead Sea salt water, it changes the death of the salt and, of the Dead Sea, not the Salton Sea, that's here in California. It changes the makeup of the Dead Sea into a living sea. But when I do the same experiment with salt water and fresh water, the, the fresh becomes salt. So the, the prophet is seeing something. He's seeing something, and this is an analogy, this is a metaphor, this is a picture of God's people. That when we go out and we leave the sanctuary of God, the further we get from the house of God, the more effective and powerful our lives should be. The more potent our lives should be. So the title of my message, yeah, I haven't even gotten to point one yet, so it's real bad. But Doug said our, <laughs> Doug said our 15 minutes was good, so just kidding. We won't go that long. I can wrap this up in 20, 15, 20 minutes. All right. You and I, here's the title. We are carriers of the presence of God and not consumers of it. And oftentimes, as believers, especially like you're in a four-square church, um, and uh, like we're on the Pentecostal variety of life. I didn't know if you knew that. If, if not, just, just roll with it. It's good. We're, we're normal most days. Um, but we're on the Pentecostal variety of life. Like we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus Christ, the Savior. The he we're not three-square, you know. We're four square, like we, the whole thing, you know? We believe in the whole work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we believe in the stuff, right? The healing, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. We believe in the presence. And I don't know about you, how many of you have been in the presence of God before? And you knew, like, man, I gotta tell you, Chris, awesome job, worship team. Worship team, let's give them a hand. Great job, man. Oh, there's something about it, isn't there? There's something about spending time in God's presence. I remember I was 12 years old. I was at Old Oak Ranch. I can take, it's now a game room, not the sanctuary, but I can take you to the pieces of tile where I encountered God as a 12-year-old. And it felt like I was called to ministry and had this moment with the Lord where people are praying for me and I'm crying, I'm feeling God, right? I can't tell you what the preacher preached about that day. I can't tell you his sermon illustrations I can't tell you what went on. I know that I encountered the living God in that moment. I had a moment with my creator, and it changed my life forever. I bet you, and I, I bet you if you, were, you, if you were taking the time, could point to five or six, three or four, one or two times in your life where you encountered the presence of God, and it's why you're sitting in this room today. You and I don't necessarily go to church. We might for a season, but long-term, Pursuing God does not just happen through discipline. It happens because we're looking for these moments with our Creator, and we know He's got them for us. We know He's got more for us. And we come, we come seekers, we come pursuers, we become lovers of God and lovers of His presence. Unfortunately, what can happen is we can get so caught up in the moment of His presence that we forget what it was all supposed to be for. And his presence encountered in the sanctuary is for one purpose. It's for when we leave the sanctuary. You and I are not called to live here. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I don't know. My church doesn't have a shower. So that would get, 
you know, my one Saturday night shower a week, that would be postponed, you know what I mean? And I'd be in trouble. So I, I would not want to live in the sanctuary. But what I'm supposed to do is take these moments of encounter in the presence of God that happen in the house of God, and the second I walk through those double doors and they swing wide, man, every step that I go further and further into death becomes a bigger opportunity for God's power and presence to operate in my life. And if I can carry that, if I can spend time in God's presence in the sanctuary and then carry it with me into the world, man, that's the power, isn't it? That's the stuff right there. That's the life change. I bet you have friends, if you've loaned Jesus, who've had their lives encountered with the Lord and they've changed forever. I bet you yourself can point to times where you were encountered the Lord and you changed forever. A moment in God's presence can change us forever. We're not to consume his presence. You know, there's a big thing right now. I don't know if you've heard this term. I used to use it a lot, soak sessions. Anybody ever have a soak sesh? All right. And now they're awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like I, a soak session is where we come into the house of the Lord or a prayer room. We just cry out to God. And it just feels good. I mean, you have three hours and you're just praying, crying out, pursuing God and all those things. That is awesome, wonderful, amazing. Do it as often as you can. Soak in the presence of God. But the thing about a sponge is that when it soaks something in, at some point it's supposed to be wrung out, right? And we are to be wrung out into the lives of those hurting. We're to be wrung out in the lives of our community. We're to be wrung out in our families, pursuing God, living as an example, loving, serving, giving, pursuing leading others into a moment of their encounter. But what oftentimes happens, I am totally guilty. I come into the house of the God and I house of God and I'm just like, yeah, more of you, Lord, more of you, Lord, more of you, Lord. And then I walk out, can't wait to get back in the house of God. Oh man, I missed something. See, if I'm always looking to get back to the house of God, I've missed the purpose for why the house exists. The house exists to empower me to leave the house. Right? How many, you know, some, somebody might have some adult children. You're like, hey, house is great. It's time to leave. You know, like, I, I, you know, I don't know. We're not there yet, but we'll be patient and gracious, I'm sure. There comes a time where what we experience in the house of God needs to get wrung out into the world around us. You and I are called to carry the presence of God, not simply enjoy it, not simply experience it, and not simply consume it. And if we end up simply enjoying and simply consuming and simply experiencing the presence of God in the house of God, we run the risk of becoming so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. And the world around us dies while we stay in the house. And it's exactly the opposite of the day that Ezekiel is prophesying of. He's seen a day where the river of God's presence. I love the name of your church, by the way. Hey, come on. Come on, River Church, right? He has seen a day when the people of God are so empowered by His presence in the sanctuary that then when they leave, the further away they get, the more powerful it is. The more powerful He is through them. He sees that day. So a few points, right? Like, okay, point one, hashtag sorry, 30 minutes in. All right. Point one is this. I kind of like to just talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> what begins in the temple must wait, make its way to the desert, right? So what begins here 
has got, it, has got to make its way into the desert areas of your life, into the desert of your community, the desert of your friends and family. In fact, a good policy for me is like, I don't, wanna, I don't want there to week, a week to go by where I don't invite somebody to church who doesn't go to church. I'm not talking about like your neighbor who goes, who's totally locked into the church down the street and you're like, well, you should really come to ours because it's better, you know? <laughs> You got better worship. You should come to our church. He's not, we're not trying to switch people. I'm talking about the person that you know, week after week, sits in the wallow of their life, frustrated, tired, angry, resentful, bitter, depressed. We're the most depressed and over-medicated generation in human history. Everyone around you is probably on some kind of meds, including in this room. Just, it's just the harsh reality of our lives. People need a touch from the presence of God. They need us to be carriers of his presence and not just consumers of it. Amen? Amen. What begins in the temple must make its way to the desert. So the water flowing from the temple of God represents power and the presence and the glory of God. Listen to the things that happen that that the author, the, the prophet, sees. He sees life in the river. He sees transformation in the river. He sees abundance in the river. He sees diversity in the river. He sees nourishment in the river. There's these trees that are giving off life. Their their leaves have healing in their leaves. I mean, he sees all of this stuff happening. He sees healing in the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes into the Reba where it enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be how many fish? Very many fish. So there's not going to just be, oh, you know, yeah, like the river touched the Dead Sea and there was, you know, some tilapia. So that was cool. Just there's some tilapia now in the Dead Sea. That's awesome. We've, we've got tilapia. And, you know, maybe there's a couple of, you know. No, varieties of fish. Very many fish. All kinds of life happens, right? Don't define yourself by one idea to impact your community. Just walk. Be the river. And your life is the conduit of God's power and presence in the world around you. I love, I say move where the fruit is. For me, I've I've made a lot of transitions in my life. And it's just like, where's the open doors? I'm going to walk through open doors. Hey, somebody, you know, you try and help out a neighbor and they're like, I don't want your fried chicken tonight. You know, like, ah, trying to help me. Like, I don't need your charity. You encounter somebody like that, say, awesome, love you. Find somebody else. Don't stop. Don't be all hurt, like, oh, man, he doesn't want my charity. Guess nobody wants my charity. Guess my love really doesn't work. My fried chicken's not good enough. Should have gone to KFC, but I went to churches, you know? Like, that's not it. No, come on. Try again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. We tell it to our children. Let's live it out in the kingdom. You know, if we're trying to impact people, don't get all hurt and bothered and twisted up. Just say, oh, awesome, you know, I'll give my fried chicken to somebody else. Whatever it is, whatever your point of impact is, it could be mowing somebody's lawn. It could be praying for somebody. Well, I don't want your prayers. I worked at Save Mart for a, while, for a season. I was a meat cutter. Um, my parents owned a meat shop, and I learned how to cut meat at an early age. And so it's kind of been one of those things where like, I, it's always in my back pocket. When I need a little extra money, I could just go cut, cut some meat. You know, butcher. You know, meat, arr, meat cutter. like beef. You know, um, like it a little too much, right? You know what I mean? Like 100 pounds more too much. Um, but... At St. Mart, I, would, I, I worked there in the meat department, and there was a couple people, and I just, it was while we were getting our church started, and I was, I was bivocational, working the job, and stuff like that, and I just said, Lord, I, 
I literally, God, I know you put me in this store around these people. And I'm not pastoring a large group of people. It's not my job right now, but I am, you know, I got this Bible study started. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pastor the people that you bring me. You know, and here's what I did. If anybody said, I don't know if, you, if you're working in retail or if you work in any kind of line of work where there's people, um, and you say, how you doing? Like, at least, if you say it to everybody, at least half of the response is going, oh, you know. one guy is to say, how you doing? Oh, just mildewing. It's like, what? Mildewing? Is that a thing? You know, you start mildewing when you get a certain age? I don't, I don't know. Um, but you start asking people how they're doing and just being friendly, all of a sudden you'll say, I'm sick, tired. I used to pray for people behind the fish counter at Save Mart 608 Grass Valley, right down the road. And I would right, by, right behind the tilapia and the smoked bacon. And I would, I would pray for people as if, if they said they had a headache. Hey, can I pray for you a second? Oh, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Oh, oh, na- oh, oh you mean now? Oh. Oh, now, right now. Okay. Um, I thought it was like a thing you did later, like by yourself, <laughs> alone, you know, in a car somewhere with the windows rolled up, right? And just those little opportunities, instead of, you know, putting our light under a bushel, just as you encounter life, you will find so many opportunities if you're open to it. Just say, hey, and I, here's what's crazy. Maybe two or three people refused prayer. Most people are way open to it, especially when they're hurting. People are vulnerable. Oh, man, they'll take your prayers. Yeah, they'll take your prayers or your good thoughts. I say, I have good thoughts, too. I send them right to Jesus, you know? I call them prayers. People are far more receptive if your heart is for them and you're viewing your life as a carrier of the presence of God. Far more receptive than we can ever imagine. Let's not get hurt. Let's just keep going. Varieties of fish. The further away the water gets from the temple, the deeper it becomes, the more transformative its effect. This concept, this concept, you got to think of Ezekiel. It was revolutionary, this idea. All of Israel's worship was about the temple. The presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. The only person that could go there was the high priest once a year. And even him, they tied a rope around his ankle just in case he died, they could pull him back out without dying themselves. And so the presence of God was way inside, deeper, deeper, deeper. In fact, the courts of the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles. You know when Jesus overturns the money tables in the New Testament? You know why he's so angry? He says, you have made my house, the house of my father, a den of thieves. You know why he's so angry? Those money tables are set up in the court of the Gentiles. See, unlike any other religion on the planet at this time, the Jews had a religion where non-believers could come into their temple, the Gentile court, and inquire of who their God was and learn of him and encounter him. And that is the area that they said, oh, we don't need to reach the Gentiles anymore. No Romans here. No pagans here, no Samaritans here. And that's where they set up their money tables. So Jesus walks in and he sees this. And he said, you missed the whole point. You missed the whole thing. We have this court of the Gentiles so that people who are far from God can encounter God. And you've destroyed the whole concept that my father was trying to do. And so his anger isn't just the mismanagement of funds 
and the crookedness of the money changers. His anger is that literally the very place where evangelism was supposed to be happening and people were to be turning to the one true God, the very place where the sorcerers and the witches and the pagans of the day could come and understand who God was, that very place had been turned into a marketplace and it drew him nuts. He said, that is not what this is about. We are about offering people a moment of God's presence. So there was the court of the Gentiles, then there was the court of the women, and then there was the court of the men, and then there was the temple priests, and then the high priests. About five layers in is where the Holy of Holy was. And so each layer of closeness to God's presence excluded another group of people. First, the Gentiles were excluded. They couldn't get to the Holy of Holies. Then the women were excluded. Then the men. Then if you weren't a, a priest, you were excluded. Then if you weren't one of the priests assigned that week and had kept yourself pure, you were excluded. And then if you weren't the high priest on one day a year, you were excluded. The closer we got to God's presence, the more exclusion happened. And here's Ezekiel. Like when people, this was straight heresy for the day, for these for these Israelites when they were reading this, hearing this prophesy, prophecy, you're going to take God's presence out of the Holy of Holies and give it to the dead places? It's going to go out of the temple? You're going to take it out of the temple? That people can encounter God away from the sanctuary? For them, that's blasphemy. How dare you say such a thing? God's presence is to be protected and covered, and it's for us. And Ezekiel says, no, no, no. It's for the lost. It's for the hurting. It's for the dying. And Jesus backs him up. The purpose of God's presence is out there. It's not in here. Can we all say that together? That's point number two. The purpose of God's presence is out there, not in here. We can love God's presence. We can encounter God's presence. But come on, let's get it out there. Let's let people just get infected with the presence and power of God because we are carriers and not just consumers. Amen? Ezekiel was communicating the heart anticipation of God. See, I think this is, this is a totally spot-on prophecy because I think this is what God was trying to set up for the people. To see a day when the most powerful place of worship was the furthest away from the temple. I want to say that again. That the most powerful place of worship was the furthest away from the temple. Most, most powerful thing you can do in your walk with God is worship God outside of here. Oh, man. Worship God when the has hit the fan. <laughs> right? Worship God in the middle of the storm. Worship God in the middle of the workplace. I mean, don't be crazy, right? Like, you still, you know, people need to know that you're, like, on the planet, right? I'm not, say, I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not saying behind the fish counter. It's like, I'll take two pounds of bacon. Bacon, that reminds me of my Savior. Oh, jeez. You know, like, that's not, you know. I love what one comedian says. like, there's saved and then there's oversaved, all right? Like, you know, uh, and he's like, you know if you're oversaved, it's like your friend loses their keys and like, oh, I, I can't find my keys. Oh, keys, keys, keys to the kingdom, you know. Where do you, you know? It's like, it's oversaved. I mean, come on. You just, you got to be a little careful, all right? I can't use that joke anymore at my church. They don't laugh. It's too many times, too many times. I, I, didn't, I didn't learn my lesson, all right? And then my third point, this, is a new temple for a new time. Okay, here we go. This is where we draw it all into the New Testament, where we connect the whole thing. Remember that Ezekiel is prophesying thousands of years before Jesus comes. 
And what is he seeing? He's seeing a preferred future. That's what prophecy is, is speaking a preferred future for God. And let's just look at some of what God begins to do in the New Testament, a new temple for a new time. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know? Do you not know? Did you not get the memo? Turn to your name. Did you get that email? Did you see that meme? Did you not know? Did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you not know that God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? That the Holy of Holies has left the building and it's in your personhood. Let that sink in a little bit, right? That you are a walking holy of holies. That is what salvation means. That is what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. That you have received the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Now, I used to say as a little kid, I was raised in the church, and I'm like, Jesus lives in my heart. How many of you say that? Like, that's, that's true. That's good teaching. My parents did well. Jesus lives in my, in my heart. Holy Spirit's on the inside of me. Holy Spirit's on the inside of me. But saying that in church is one thing. Living that out in the world is a whole different game, isn't it? Where we walk into places, we say, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is a temple. I am a walking holy of holies. The veil has been torn. There is no separation. God's people can experience His presence as I become a carrier and not a consumer. But if my mind doesn't change, if my mind just thinks that the presence of God is here and not in here, wow, I I, I miss a lot in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, he flips the whole thing on his head. He says to the people, listen, you're God's temple. Do you know how revolutionary this was? Think about when he says this. He says, "Um, I'll I'll destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the people thought, you're going to destroy the temple? Like they're thinking the building. You're going to destroy the building? That's blasphemy. How dare you take? That's That's our place. That's our place. That's our thing. And he says in three days, what was he talking about? His body. I'm a temple. And what are we as Christians? We are little Jesuses, right? He's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple is obsolete. I love this little poem. Can you guys put your hands like this with me? And put put the fingers on the inside, okay? Put the fingers on the inside. Come on. We're going back to Sunday school. Here we go. Uh, Does everybody know where we're headed? All right, here we go. Um. This is the church. Say it with me. This is the church. This is the steeple. I always like that part, right? Let's try it again. All right. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Right? Okay. So you're tracking with me, all right? I'm sorry that I had to get homeschool on you. Like, that's that's rough, okay? I'm sorry. Listen, I can say that because I was homeschooled. Um, Hashtag most of the problems in my life are from that. Um, Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people. Well, my teacher did something crazy one day, right, in Sunday school. She had this little flannel graph. You guys remember those? All right? And they put the flannel graph up, and they put the the picture of the traditional church, and then they put this crowd of people off to the left bottom. And they said, okay, everybody go up and, you know, uh, let's put the flannel graph arrows point to the church. 
And everybody pointed to the building, right? Because we're kids. And she's like, want to get us. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, gosh, why are you being so, like, conniving? It's a trick question. And that's where she was going with it. So everybody, all the kids, they come up, oh, yay, teacher, Cindy, you know, here's the arrows pointing to the church that looks like a church, the building. And she says, you're all wrong. And I was like, I'm seven years old, Cindy. Come on, give a guy a break. You're all wrong. What you didn't see is the crowd of people on the bottom right of the flannel graph. The church is not a building. The church is people. Okay, we all get that. It's a powerful lesson for a six-year-old. You could have been a little nicer about it, okay? (laughs) Powerful lesson. We all understand that. The church is not the building, the people. However, we don't necessarily live with that understanding. We understand it. We understand that it's not about this building. We understand. I love what our sister shared, you know, a new building. I love that. We understand that intuitively. But we don't understand that I am the church. There is a river of life inside of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, (laughs) sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing inside of me. We sing it in church, but when we walk out those doors to live with that reality that there is a Holy Spirit way bigger, better, and more awesome than you could ever imagine, and He is right here on the inside of you, and He wants to spring forth from you. Listen how Jesus connects the dots. On the last day of the feast... John 7, 37 through 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, listen to this, out of his heart, this is Jesus, not my words, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, our Savior, thousands of years later, is remembering what Ezekiel said about a preferred future that God would be bringing. And he's saying, I'm here. And if you'll believe in me, your heart will be that threshold that Ezekiel talked about. And rivers will flow from your heart to dead places. And the further away people are from Jesus, the more powerful your witness and testimony will be. We got to move our mindset from being ones who consume God's presence to being ones who carry it. I got something to say. I got, I got people to heal. I got, I got lives to touch. I got impact to make. I love what Paul says. Our life is but a vapor, right? Here one second, gone the next. We have one moment, one moment to share our lives with the world around you. I love what Hebrews 8 through 10 says this. And just listen to this. There will be a day, declares the Lord, where I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. They shall know me. They shall know me. This is what Jesus came to provide. He didn't, he didn't want us, he didn't want us to just replace the old temple for a new contemporary temple. He wanted us to be a temple. Don't build, don't build another building, he says. Now we need buildings together. Don't get me wrong. But don't build another building. You are the building now. You are it. 
I have no backup plan. That always fascinates me about God because I always kind of think like the reserves are out there. They're going to come in and relieve me at some point, like the real guys, the ones who really know what they're doing, like who, you know, who actually know how to serve God and love, and they can love my friends better and they can reach the loss better and they can serve people better and they can evangelize better and they got better words than me. How many of you have ever felt like that? Like those guys are coming for the people I love, the better ones, the better ones. Yeah, they're on their way. Well, I got, a, I got news for you. There's no plan B. Like, just, just pretend there's a mirror in front of you and just say, I'm it. I'm it. I'm the only plan that God has for the people around me. I'm it. I'm it for my friends. I'm it for my family. I'm it. I'm it. Nobody's coming. Nobody's going to rescue me. I am it. And there is a river of life inside of me. Man, when you begin to make that shift, things that you saw as dead now begin to team with life, and you begin to see how God can fit in. If my brother who was on the keyboard, if you could come up. I want us to stand to our feet. We're going to pray real quick. A new temple for a new time. That's my third point. We just went over it. And what does that mean? You're the temple, and now's the time. Let's say it together. Say, I'm the temple, and now's the time. It's time for me to know who I am, to carry the presence outside of this room, and impact people for the kingdom of God. Now we're going to make it a little bit real, okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor look them in the eyes, all right? This is called accountability. Look them in the eyes, all right? This might be awkward for you, and you might not know your neighbor, all right? And that's okay. Today, you just got to know somebody new. Say, guess what? Look at them right there. Say, guess what? I am a temple. The Holy Spirit lives in me. When I walk out these doors, I am responsible to make a difference in the people I see. I'm going to pray for us. Would you just lift your hands with me all over the room? Let's everybody, just let's all participate. Let's all lift our hands together. Father, Father, we right now as your people, Lord, we say in Jesus' name, yes. Lord, we want to be those who carry your presence. Lord, we want to be those who impact the world around us. God, we want to be the answer to Ezekiel's preferred future where he saw, he saw the people of God leaving the temple of God and becoming a temple wherever they walked, that your presence was carried in their hearts and in their lives and your law was written on them and they knew you and they walked with authority. So Father, I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters and I pray that this morning marks a difference in how they engage their world. This morning marks power. This morning walks presence. This morning marks a day where they begin to impact the world and they don't stop. They keep try, trying, and trying again. And Lord, I thank you that there will be testimonies that rise up from this house of worship of how you have encountered people in the week that we've been out pursuing you and encountering those around us. God, we thank you for witness to happen in Jesus' name. And I want to ask one more question. You can put your hands down. But I want to ask one more question with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed. If you're here this morning and today you want to put your trust in Jesus, you've never started your relationship with God, and today you say, I want to begin my walk with the Lord. If that's you, I want you to put your hands straight up in the air, and we're going to pray together. Is anybody in the room this morning saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to open my heart to him. Is that anybody here? Anybody at all? I want you to put your hand straight up. Hallelujah, Lord. Well, Father God, we thank you that as we would leave those double doors in the back, as they would swing open, our hearts would swell with authority and power 
that we would be carriers of your presence wherever we go. We would know how significant we are to your kingdom in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Wow, that was fun, guys. I, I, uh, I'm not sure how... Not sure how long I went. I, I hope it's okay, but I, I love that you have a clock. I, I, I promise you I didn't look at it much, though. So um, maybe that was 40, 47 minutes. Yeah. Okay, everybody, nobody left. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's a positive sign. Uh, Steven's still here. I mean, you know, he's, he's here to support. So I'm just kidding. Hey, love you guys. Uh, is your pastor back next week? Awesome. All right. Very cool. Well, I think it's so cool that you guys uh, are here, even though he's on vacation. That's amazing, and pastors need a break, and you've got a really good pastor. So love you guys, love him, serve, serve his vision, and uh, excited to see what God does in your church. Be blessed. Love you. Love you.